This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Good morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. It is 6 a.m. Thursday, the 9th of June. And of course, you're listening to Philip C. And I'm Wong Xiaoning. A very good wet morning. It started raining like <laughs> at 1 o'clock or yeah, midnight? Midnight already. And it was thunderstorms. It yeah, woke me massive, up a couple right? of times. Yeah. Okay, I've been up since 2, by the way. Well, that's because of your jet lag, isn't it? <laughs> you still haven't recovered from your jet lag since you came back from the UK. No, I think the rule of thumb is it takes a day to recover for every hour of difference. So I'm looking forward to seven days of bad sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm day, what, day four? So another three, more, three days, more days. Edging like, you to the weekend. And yeah, then hopefully, hopefully by next Monday, everything is back to normal. Well, it's not so bad because generally I get up at three. So that means I'm just up like about an hour earlier than I should. I always thought that, I mean, doing an early morning show would make it hard, isn't it? Because mm. usually like if you're jet lagged, you will wake up at two, but then go back to sleep at four and then wake up at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., later, and much later. Into work, groggy into right? work, Groggy into work, essentially. Well, I'm still groggy. It doesn't really, <laughs> that doesn't really change very much. But I mean, the rain was quite, uh, was thundering. In. But it was nice to lie into bed, lie in bed, but seriously. Guess what? It's going to continue raining today. Uh, according to my phone, it's going to pour later on in the afternoon and continue for the rest of the day. So, like, it's good. we are heading into a bit of a wet period. So, everyone, please stay safe on the road. But of course, we're here to keep you company throughout the morning until 10am. And we have a rather interesting show. So at 7.15, what do we have, Philip? Yes, we ask how do Malaysian companies stack up in terms of ESG benchmarks? We discuss trends in ESG investing with Leslie Yap of Nomura Asset Management Malaysia. And staying very much on this Japanese team, uh, because Nomura Asset Management, of course, is a Japanese company, we're looking actually at the Japanese yen because it's dipped to a 20-year low against the greenback this week amid global central banks tightening. So the question, of course, is how will this impact their economy? We're going to be discussing this with Vishnu Varathan of Mizuho Bank. And at 7.45, I think we're going to ponder on a question that I think a lot of Malaysians are a little bit worried about. Yeah, the big question is how severe is the medicine supply shortage in Malaysia? We discuss the situation with Dr. Ko Ka Chai of the Malaysian Medical Association. So do t- uh, stay tuned. All this and more on the morning run. But to take us there is standing outside a phone booth with money in my hand with the primitive radio gods. Who came up with this title? Do we have phone booth still? I, yes, we still do. I, I saw some red ones in London, by the way, but I just want the money in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it here, BFM 89.9. 608. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Wong Xiaoning together with Philip C. on a very wet Thursday, 9th of June. And as usual, at this time of the morning, we go through some very interesting articles which Philip and I actually pick up. And this one I picked up myself and it's from the uh, New York Times and it's about punctuality and it's entitled Punctuality is Having a Moment because apparently fashionably late is now out of fashion. I didn't even knew it was ever not in fashion. It was it's, 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 it was in fashion in Malaysia. You know, many people like to come late, especially for wedding banquets. Oh, yeah. Even sometimes like official events, right? The official isn't there. Yes, like exactly. they have to wait a while for the official to turn up. Well, this is a hierarchy, issue of hierarchy. They always think, oh, you know, the most important person, the VVIP, enters last. And everybody kind of takes the cue. And I have this big problem with weddings here. Remember before the pandemic, oh weddings would start at 9.30 at night, even though the RSVP is like 7.30. I don't understand this, you know. Why can't people just come on time? 
there's just no respect. And I think the pandemic has shifted that. So this article is so pressing. But I haven't been to a wedding yet, so I can't put that I can't put that to the test. Have you? I have been and I do notice that people really do start on the dot. Okay, that's There's great. very little tolerance actually for late uh, arrivals. She just closed the doors. You just close the door like any concert. I yeah. went actually to the Malaysian Philharmonic Orchestra last week. It was oh, but excellent. they have always, always, always been, been on time. But I people, credit to them. Exactly. They've always been on time. And I think this has to hold. And it should also apply to meetings and weddings. Okay. So let me ask you, right? Why? Let's take a little step back. Why do you think people think it's okay to be late? Well, it's because, because it, I think we all know it's important to be on time. It's about respecting each other's uh, time, and there is usually, actually, when you're when you're is a service, there's a money monetary element to people's time. Absolutely. So you need to to consider all this. But why do you think people don't care? Well, for me, firstly, I care for it a lot much more because time is becoming increasingly valuable to me. As a result of the pandemic, I'm having the opportunity to squeeze so many things in. So I'm having things back to back already, mm. the 7, 8, 9, 10. So when someone's late, it basically creates a huge consequential delay across my, my schedule because I'm packing in stuff. I'm valuing time more. So I have little tolerance for that. So I think that's putting pressure on everything. So back to your question, why do you think people come in late? Because they don't respect everyone's value of time. Mm. That's the fundamental issue. There's no I respect mean, there. I mean, does this lackadaisical attitude extend to beyond just even, you know, turning up? I think sometimes when you look at the, for example, the trash on the road, yeah. uh, trash on the streets, trash everywhere. Because like, you know, I just came back from a major city and I wouldn't say London is a clean place. But considering the millions of people there, the millions of tourists, it isn't as messy and as as much trash as sometimes the roads in Bangsa. And I can't understand that. It's is conscientiousness. That, yeah, yeah, is it because we just simply just throw stuff everywhere and we don't care? You know, because we have this lackadaisical attitude towards everything, whether it's time and public spaces, public spaces. for example. Well, if you're self-centered, you need to think about yourself and mm. you think everybody is in service to you. That's the problem, okay. right? And I think if you if you think about it only about yourself and your own perspective, naturally you would do all these things. You I wonder who thinks like time. that a lot. Hmm. <laughs> hmm, I wonder who, but never mind. Let's continue this conversation. It always starts at the top. Let, yes. Let's be very clear here. It always starts at the top. When someone starts to think that it's I am more powerful than the institution I serve and then it emanates downstairs, that, further down, right? Yes, of as society, because society looks at the top and says, hey, if they can do it, why can't I do it? I need to protect myself because nobody is protecting me. Leadership by example, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but when you talk about punctuality, right, I think the other reason why maybe hopefully it's back in fashion, at least I hope it is in Malaysia, is you're right. There is this sense of cabin fever, right? We've been locked up for two and a half years, close to three years. There's a gazillion things that everybody wants to do and they realise that, you know, we couldn't do it. We just couldn't yeah. do it, right? We, were, we weren't allowed to. And now we have this opportunity to do. We're going to take the opportunity. We're going to go for it. But the one thing we can't replace is time. Absolutely. What I see as an interesting trend now in meetings is people come five, ten minutes before the meeting. Good. And that's a sign of punctuality. If you turn on if you turn up on the dot, you're considered late. Oh. That is, well. That's a bit of a shift I see happening. Like and what I try and consciously do is finish the meeting ten minutes before. So I take a five minute break and join the meeting five minutes before the meeting starts. Well, let's hope this is the start of a new era that everybody regardless of whether you're VVVVVIP to the ordinary man, to the ordinary lady, you're going to turn up in time and not going to be lackadaisical towards each other and have some respect. Uh, but we're going to uh, take a quick break and to take us there is The Boy with the Arab Strap by Belle and Sebastian. Keep it here, BFM 89.9.
Welcome back, 6.19 on Thursday, the 9th of June. And of course, you're listening to the running, morning run excuse me, with Philip C and I'm Wong Xiaoning. Now, we're going to be talking about a woman I truly admire, okay? Uh, I was, because I, I actually was there. Exactly. Um, witnessing this, what is it? Uh, Platinum Jubilee. 70-year okay? career, man. Yeah, 70 career uh, with very, very few missteps. Of course, there were some. There were some. Um, I wouldn't say it's a perfect record. But considering all things, pretty good record. And of course, this is our Queen Elizabeth in the UK who just celebrated 70 years on the throne. I think only one of the French kings has managed to outdo her. <laughs> Longest re- reigning UK monarch. I mean, this is a Forbes article I picked uh, and it titles it Role Model for the 70-Year Careers to Come. It really talks about perhaps we having a... Mere re-exa- mortals though. We are re- mere mortals. Mere mortals, but we are re-examining ourselves, right? Thinking that perhaps we should push ourselves be taught between beyond our classic retirement age of 55, 56 years old. Uh, yes, I think so. But even here in Malaysia, we do have some people who never want to retire. You know, that's true also. That's so true. So you also need to know if you're you're going to have a long career, how to do it gracefully. Gracefully, I think. <laughs> and knowing when to keep quiet when you're supposed to, which is, I think, a hallmark of Queen Elizabeth. Your subtle references are on spot today, I have yeah. to say, Shaunin. So if you don't know who we're talking about, we can't really help you. <laughs> <laughs> With that evil laugh. But in this article, it talks about four key advice. And I really like the first one, which is say yes, take the stretch job. In the sense that, you know, when Elizabeth II took the throne, she was at the tender age of 25 only. And I'm sure when she took on this role, and to be fair to her, it wasn't thrust on her. It was thrust on her. It wasn't her choice, essentially. Yeah. And she so was born into it, She was it, born right? into it. So kudos to for her for, you know, staying the course for 70 years. Because we know many monarchs who kind of exit after. Yeah, I think her uncle did, right? With exactly. uh, Wallace Simpson and the scandal. So he just said bye-bye. And the grandson as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And so she, you know, she... To be able to, you know, take this unsurmountable task for many people and just do it with so much polish and class really takes my head off. And I think also we have to acknowledge the time in which she lived, right? Because this is a period where women weren't so often in leadership roles. And I think it's a very different era, of course, today. But even today, women are fighting for a voice in the public sphere. And uh, she's done it pretty well. She has hit a, held her head very high. Hit a held, had held her head very high. And that came comes to the second advice, which is stay steady. Because tumult goes with the territory. And, you know, the article talks about this whole world we live in, which is called VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. For sure, her 70-year reign has seen so much change in this world, has it not? Mm, yeah, but she, you know what? One thing about her, uh, she very seldom shares her personal life, right? I think that's part, partly because she is the queen. There's this sense that she's supposed to be separate from everyone and maintain a certain regal difference, although that cannot be said for the rest of the royal family and their shenanigans. But through it, through it, all, through it all, she has apologised when she has needed to. Well, maybe mm. not apologised, but acknowledged the missteps. Yes. And then retreated back into her little, you know, I guess her little Buckingham Palace. But I don't know whether that's, uh, this is the part where I wonder, whether we do need more human 
f- uh, public figures. So this is where I, I wonder how you also stage and I put place your brand out, especially for someone like her. Mm. So as you say, right, she's quite private. But at the same time, we also know some of her hobbies. Like she loves horse racing. Corgis, she, corgis dogs. is a big thing. So that very much links her to her brand, her identity. It also shows a softer side to her, but it doesn't expose too much, I think. Oh, because she's not a Kardashian. She's not a Kardashian. That's what the Forbes <laughs> compared her to. <laughs> not in a million years. Oh, but the, the comparison is... Yin and Yang It's really really Yin and Yang Especially since One of the Kardashian sisters Just got married in Italy And it was like One big brand fest And I think her dress Pretty was quite Was quite a short Wedding dress Yeah yeah Thanks to Dolce and Gabbana But (laughs) never mind I don't see the queen Wearing Dolce and Gabbana (laughs) I doubt it But this is where I feel how do you think about your career going forward? And I've been thinking long and hard about my career as well. And I'm Are I you feel, doing 70 years for I it? feel I veer towards her, which is I want to work till I'm 70, 75. I want to keep my brain engaged all the way up to 80. I don't want to retire at 55. Yeah, and it's something I also don't want to. I mean, I'm older than you. I'm coming up to 50. I'll, mm. I'll admit it. And I thought to myself, yes, maybe this pace of work might I might want to reduce. But I definitely don't want to put a, a, a full stop. I think the idea is to keep your mind active, but also recognize that you need to make way for the younger generation. Yeah. And how then do you plan for the next generation? One thing about Queen Elizabeth is that she's been rather reluctant when it comes to succession planning. Charles is just like, when is it my turn? When is it my turn? And I'm not sure whether that's always the best case. But is it different because it's it's a royalty? Uh, you know, yes. it's a monarch. But I think in corporate, sometimes you have to kind of make way, even in politics. Oh, for sure. I think I think especially in the corporate world, you know, as a CEO, you typically try not to stay too long because then it's very hard to break your personality from the institution you're supposed to lead. That's always been a challenge, right? But the, the big issue is that boards sometimes don't want to release a CEO, especially if the CEO has been performing. I think we all, regardless of uh, time, need to embrace change need to know when to exit, but also keep ourselves active right till the very end. Uh, but up next, we have the 6.30am News Bulletin. And to take us there is Home by the Sea by Genesis. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're listening to The Morning Run. It is 6.40 on a rather wet Thursday morning, 9th of June. And that song was... Dylan Thomas by Better Oblivion Community Centre. I mean, I, I, I've never been to that community centre <laughs> before, and I don't think Oblivion would necessarily mean it's better. I, actually, I'm just curious. How do these people come up with their band names? Was it like four guys or four people in a band, and they say, "Okay, everyone choose a random word, and then that word, the combination of the word, will be the band." And probably at two a.m. smoking something. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Better Oblivion Community Centre. Well, it's a cute song nonetheless. Uh, But at 6.40 in the morning, we're going to look at all the international headlines that have caught our eye. Uh, What has... Uh, what are you going to pay attention to, Philip? Well, I think the food crisis is getting much worse and that's been confirmed by the World Trade Organization. Its director, Dr. Ngozi Onkonjo Iwela, has said that this crisis could last years rather than months. And she says that with res- as a result of the Russian-Ukraine crisis, there's been a huge shortage of grains everywhere. She points to the fact that Ukraine contributes 40% of sunflower, sunflower oil globally, 16% of maize, 10% of barley and 9% of wheat. That's a really startling number, which goes to show how this crisis has huge global repercussions with respect to food commodities. Yeah, and it affects some 
geographical regions more than others. So, for example, the Middle East, East Africa is really impacted by the blockades in uh, Ukraine. We somehow in Southeast Asia are less impacted, partially also because our dependence... Our diets are different. Yeah, we don't, we eat rice and we use a lot of palm oil. We're not so dependent on sunflower oil. But the point is, there is clearly a rise in all food prices across the world globally. For sure. I mean, even you talk about sunflower oil, it will have impact on palm oil as yeah, well. Yeah, there are know, substitutes, right? It's all interconnected right? and sub- substitute-wise. So that's a big issue. And I think the bigger issue with especially the grains is that Ukraine's grain capacity shortage is getting much worse. It used to be able to take about 60 million tons worth of 80 to 100 million. Now it's only have access to about 60 million mm. tons worth of grain as a result of this war. And related to this is an article in the Financial Times talking about the fact that the that there's an impasse uh, between talks as to whether they could end Rus- the Russian blockade of Black Sea grain shipments. So Antonio Guterres, of course, representing the United Nations, he spoke as negotiators from Russia and Turkey have actually failed to break this impasse on how to get export food from Ukraine, one of the world's big world's biggest wheat exporters out. And what he's also said is that this crisis could create an unprecedented wave of hunger and misery. And he's put a number to it, right? Affecting 1.6 billion people. Yeah, and I think the, the issue here is Russia wants a reduction in terms of the sanctions. And of course, I think that is something that a lot of world powers are very reluctant to give in to. Absolutely. I think these sanctions are going to begin are beginning to hurt the Russian economy. Analysts are forecasting that the Russia's economy will shrink 15% by end of this year and up to 18% by 2023. Well, guess what? It's not just the Russian economy, right? Because I'm looking at this article on Bloomberg and the world economy uh, will pay a hefty price for the war in Ukraine. And this is according to the OECD because basically we're facing weaker growth, stronger inflation and potentially long-lasting damage to supply chains. So they have slashed their outlook for global growth this year to 3% from 4.5% it predicted in December and doubled the inflation projection to nearly 9% for its 38 member countries. And that is 9% is a lot. So I think now the fear is, is stagflation here? Yeah, it's a very concerning issue and it's happening around the world globally. As you said just now with respect to slashing the rates, what I see very interesting is that US's growth rate has slashed substantially to about 2.5%. In the past, the projection was that US would grow faster than China, but now we see China actually growing much faster than the United States with a projected growth of about 4.4% for China. Initially, the projection was 5%, still below, but it's a faster growth economic engine compared to the United States. Yeah, the issue here is like, okay, you've got this... Um, you know, like like what US is facing. They know that global growth is slowing. Even domestic growth might be slowing. And I think uh, on Friday, retail sales, uh, consumer price index will come out, giving an indication in terms of how consumers are changing their behaviour with the rising energy and food prices. So there is the potential of a slowdown. But yet, at the same time, with the inflation so high, they need to raise rates. So they're really in a tight spot. So of course, I think there's been criticism whether the Fed has been too slow to act and had ignored inflation for too long. Remember, the buzzword last year was transitory. And guess what? It, It didn't turn out to be at all. So the question I have now is the Fed has, as you know, has come in late to the game in terms of communication. Now they're saying, look, 50 bips is very likely for the next two hikes. But if you're going to see inflation taper, Mm. will they change their storyline going forward? That's the big question. But it sounds like they will still be marching ahead, right? Yeah, they're staying the the cost. With staying the cost with the 50 bips. But if you're going to see a softening of prices going forward, I wonder if the narrative or the the tone will be a bit different. I don't know. It's also midterm elections coming up in the 
US very soon, right? So I think all politicians are going to be very mindful of this. Uh, but up next, we've got some messages and to take us there is my favourite band. One of my favourite bands, actually. Human by Human League. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, 6.50 in the morning, Thursday, 9 of June. And that was the um, one of my favourite songs, Human by Human League. And you know, the, the lyrics kind of resonate with me. I'm only human, I make mistakes, but do you say sorry? And a lot of people here in Malaysia never say sorry. Well, I think humans also are prone to errors. But this article I like to point out really shows the huge error of judgment made here. New Straits Times, page 6. Najib made me one MDB advisor out of the goodness of his heart. The High Court yesterday heard that Datu Sri Najib Razak had given former Chief Secretary to the government, Tan Sri Muhammad Siddiq Hassan, a high-paying non-existent advisory role in one MDB out of the goodness of his heart. Continuing that story, another headline on the edge, Siddiq, Najib put me on the board of advisors because of the inadequate salary as Chief Secretary of the country. Yeah, we covered this yesterday and it still baffles me. It baffles me. Yeah, um, uh, I think when you have an advisory role, you're supposed to advise. At least keep an eye on what's what is going on. Clearly, nobody was keeping an eye on what was going on. Only human. Only, only human. human making mistakes, but never saying sorry. Uh, meanwhile, I'm looking at page two of the star. And there is a proposal to table the anti-party hopping law uh, sometime in early July, well ahead of the July 31st deadline set by the opposition party. I hope this does happen. And I wonder what's happening behind the scenes in terms of what the bill actually look like. Well, there were five fundamental issues that were apparently raised by the cabinet during the June 1st meeting, uh, which were answered by the Parliamentary Special Select Committee in Tuesday's meeting. I think this will be quite a momentous uh, bill if it is passed. It has been kicked down the road many times already. Whether oh, or not countless this, times, countless right? Countless times, I think. We can't even uh, put it, put in, I don't think we have enough fingers to justify the number of times it's been delayed. So if it does happen, it would be quite substantive for our parliamentary democracy moving forward. I hope it gets done before GE15, which I think the noise with regards to that has become louder and louder. Another bill that's come out recently is that Malaysia will be tabling a fiscal responsibility responsibility bill at the next parliament session because it is a necessity to boost tax collection, which will be crucial to replenish the nation's coffers to finance the nation's, deve- nation's development plan. On the same thread and same line, mm. the MOF has said that no new taxes until Malaysia's economy recovery firmly on track. Is that a contradiction? Um, To me, a little bit because I thought you want to reform the tax system in Malaysia because clearly there are not enough taxpayers. A percentage of our country's income as in, in terms of tax is one of the lowest in the region compared to some of the more developed countries. So clearly yeah. there are gaps there. Uh, but I wonder whether it just means, okay, we are going to change the taxation system. We're going to look at GST, but probably not implement it like now, but prepare the country for it in two to three years. I hope that's what they mean. I hope that's what they mean too, because as you said, exactly what you said just now, Tengku Zarfal, our finance minister, said that this is aimed at broadening our tax base, including taxing the shadow economy and improving tax compliance and administration towards helping boost tax collection. Because as you said, he actually in Davos a couple of weeks back said that we have seen our subsidy bill go up to 71 billion ringgit. Mm. And so how are you going to finance that bill? So there's also the broader question about targeted subsidies. And we've even had a call previously that how that's also very challenging to implement. Yeah, because subsidy bill, right, uh, for the country is something close to 71 billion 
10 ringgit at the moment. Uh, in terms of just the RON 95 subsidies, chicken subsidies, and I wonder, you know, uh, with the bill continuing to increase and our government coffers really rather tight, we really should take the opportunity and the government should be brave enough. Whoever is in government, mm. unfortunately, because it's general elections, maybe, you know, which is around the corner, everyone's speculating, whether anybody's going to have the gumption to say, I will do it. I will make the changes, you know, for the good of the country. So there's been so much discussion about when GE15 will take place. If you recall earlier this year, everybody was like, oh, second half of the year, it's a done deal. It's definitely going mm. to happen. But you hear a lot of rumblings, but perhaps that's not the case. And you see a lot of discussions, even when Zahid Hamidi was at the Barisa National Convention, when he pushed for the discussion, it was kind of muted silence. So really, really, it's a big question about when GE15 will take place, which then leads to the question of who will be contesting in GE15? Because Tenkru Zarful, is our own finance minister, has been been talking a lot about Kuala Selangor. Yeah, it seems to be his uh, favourite place, right? He's adopted it. Or is it MOF has, has adopted MOF it? MOF has adopted it. There's a whole plan I thought they are to supposed build. to adopt the whole country, by the way. Perhaps so. Maybe maybe Kuala Selangor is a country by itself. But in any case, he has re- recently denied rumours of his political ambition, dot, oh, dot, dot. Okay, so is he going to remain a senator? You know, Tunkuzaf will tell us, are you going to run for GE15? Are you going to look for a constituency and represent... Uh, that constituency and fight for it. Which then breaks the question, right, would you use your ministerial platform mm. to help you f- advance your pursuit for these kind of seats? That's a big question mark, right? Not supposed to, right? Rather unethical, isn't it? I think under normal circumstances in terms of politics. But hey, let's find out. Yeah, and I think the broader question also is, I think the debate about the G15 and who is going to run for the election, the timing, is a function of cost of living issues. That seems to be coming to the floor. Four, and UOB is forecasting that inflation is going to remain very high in the short term. But, you know, one thing that hasn't changed, which I think is pretty interesting, and that is in page, uh, let me remove my sticky tab, page four of the star. And uh, some things haven't changed in Sarawak, thank goodness, because they're going to go ahead and continue to use English in civil service. Well, I always think Sarawak t- tends to march in its own tune, and that's Good a big challenge. Yeah, well, you know, I think that's what you want to do, right? Have competition in other states to distinguish and differentiate yourself. Yeah, but up next is the 7 a.m. news bulletin. And to take us there is Telegram Sam by T Rex. So keep it here, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.